we went as far as verse 10. We'll actually kind of back up, go verse 9, because verse 9 and 10 kind of go together. Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon will be next in a couple weeks. And then we'll finish the section of the Old Testament called the po Poetic Books. Then we'll go into the Prophetic Books. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. All right, good. So you're turning there to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Again, we'll pick it up about verse 9 and continue on. A couple of quick announcements. Um, this weekend, uh, Koinia Fellowship on Saturday. Uh, Jerry and Sandy Sanders are hosting that at 6 o'clock, potluck dinner, followed by a time of fellowship, and you are all welcome to that. Their address and phone numbers there in the bulletin, so, and they are here tonight if you got any questions. So, Koinia Fellowship Saturday, and then also high school event as the high schoolers are going to be meeting at the church from 6 to 8 o'clock, and um, they're going to be having some fun, and uh, it's time to be outside. The days are long and uh, warm, and uh, so 6 to 8 o'clock, parents, uh, you can bring them at 6 and pick them up at 8 o'clock. Uh, kind of our schedule, uh, just to give you some uh, advance notice, we'll, uh, today's the 14th, we'll be here the 21st and 28th on Wednesday night. Uh, we'll finish up Ecclesiastes, move into the Song of Solomon, and then the next Wednesday is July the 5th, so that week of July the 4th, you know, a lot of times people say, I hope you can get some rest, Pastor Jeff, I hope you can slow down. It's almost impossible when you got four services a week um, to do that because there's always preparation, study, there's things to do. So one of the things when we looked at the calendar at the beginning of the year um, is I decided and um, just prayed about it and talked with the staff and the board about it. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to have Sunday, July the 2nd, and I'm going to close the church down for the week. And we're going to take the week off so the staff and all the volunteers can be with their families for the 4th of July. I'm going to take Calvary Live off on 4th of July, and then uh, we won't be here that Wednesday. We'll be back the next Sunday on July the 9th, okay? So we're just going to have um, that, that Wednesday off so we can um, enjoy and uh, some of the staff members' uh, family is out of town and uh, they can go visit and be with them, so they're, you know, excited about it, and um, so that's the plan, and we'll be back the next Wednesday. When it comes to Christmas, uh, we're going to do the same thing. Christmas Eve is on Sunday this year. I know it's June, but I'm just giving you some <laughs> advance warning. <laughs> It'll be here before we know it, you know. It's already the year's half over, can you believe it? Just about. And um, so just, just a heads up, you can put it on your calendar. Um, we'll have uh, Christmas Eve on Sunday. We'll do um, our Christmas Eve services, and then we're going to take the week off. And we'll be back for New Year's Eve, and I'll do a New Year's Eve prophecy update um, on New Year's Eve so we can be with our families. Because Christmas um, is a time where it's really busy for me, for the staff, uh, multiple services. And then the prophecy update we usually do uh, New Year's Eve during the week. We've done that for so many years. And this year, looking at the calendar with it being on Sunday, I thought, let's take advantage of it and let's just be able to have the staff be able and the volunteers that come during the week 
be able to have that week and just be with their family. So that's the plan. Hope you are okay with that. I'm okay with it. So, <laughs> but do pray for us. Pray for endurance because, you know, it's a lot doing four services a week. And I'm not saying this, you know, the boo-hoo, um, but it is um, to do Wednesday and do midweek. And, uh, you know, a number of pastors, they take sabbaticals in the summer. I'm not going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to be here teaching. Um, I don't never feel like the Lord has called me to do that. He's called me to be here, to be teaching, and I want to do that faithfully. Um, but, you know, it is, um, you know, four services a week, a lot of work that goes into it. So I'm happy to be able to give them a little break during that time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time of the year. I thank you that we can be here um, on Wednesday nights and on Sundays and we always look for those times uh, where we, we can be refreshed and renewed, and um, I, I thank you when we can take those times. I know there's people doing that right now, traveling and uh, seeing family and on vacation. We'll continue to do so, but Lord, I also know that there are those who are doing the work of the Lord and um, that are out, um, for example, Tisa with some of the high school girls with Hannah and Marley and, and, um, and, and Isabella will be coming back they've been up at the indian reservation all week long ministering there once again and lord i pray that you would bring them back safely on friday uh, lord those who are planning to uh, do missionary work those who uh, have been out um, uh, steve and tina out at the harvest uh, crusade in phoenix helping out with that i, I just thank you that we can go beyond these four walls and, and do ministry and take those times to do that and Lord, what a joy it is. What a joy it is to serve you. And what a joy it is to um, just uh, live for you. And I pray that tonight's lesson, as we go through it, that we would learn that a life apart from Jesus Christ just leaves us empty and life does become mundane and routine and we struggle. What is the purpose and meaning of life? We know people that are that way, but you have given us abundant life. And that abundant life includes the joy and peace and desire to use us and desire for us to be a light to others because we get the privilege to minister in this day, this generation. We are so close to seeing the return of the Lord. And we are seeing things coming to pass before our eyes that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would continue to watch and be sober and be vigilant and so, Lord, I, I thank you that, we, that we're here to help us to continue to just know you and our hearts being stirred and, and to learn from this book and the life of Solomon 3,000 years ago who lived a life that had everything that the world looked at and envied, but yet he said it was all vanity. So, Lord, touch our hearts tonight with your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So he says, I, the preacher, you know, is talking uh, about Solomon. As Solomon pens these words, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God, he calls himself the preacher. And Solomon is writing to the point, as you know, as we've traveled through uh, these chapters of Ecclesiastes, that Solomon is really has a negative uh, point of view. He, he says, I, I've done just about everything. He's writing later on in his life, and he is negative, he is bummed out, uh, he is discouraged, he seems hopeless. 
He says it's all vanity. And here is a man, as you know, Solomon, who ruled Israel for 40 years there in Jerusalem. The nation had peace because David, his father, had defeated all the enemies around him. And really, Solomon, he would uh, really be blessed by the benefits of what his father David had done. And Solomon ruling during that time of great peace and prosperity, as we've talked about. And as you know, as you read 1 Kings and also as you read 2 Chronicles about his life, he was one that was given great wisdom. And, and there were the leaders from around the world and dignitaries that would come to hear his wisdom. And you know the story of the Queen of Sheba that came to see him as well. And she marveled at his kingdom. So here is Solomon that he would say in this book, I, I believe he's writing it towards the end of his life. And as he's writing, he would say in chapter two that whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Anything that he wanted, he had. He had, you know, uh, gold that he multiplied. Silver at this time, the scripture tells us such an abundance of silver that it was as valuable as rocks in Jerusalem. That's how much silver there was. He had multiplied horses. He had thousands of horses. It would be like if one of us had thousands of luxury cars. He had building projects and palaces, the forests of Lebanon that he had. He built the temple, overlaid it with gold. He had uh, 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 you know, musicians in a choir that was there in his palace 24-7. He had guests. He had with an abundant supply of provision every single day that would provide for thousands of people. Uh, he had it all, golden sandals, had a thousand wives and concubines, great popularity, great prestige. There was nothing more that Solomon could attain. And he says, whatever that I looked at, that I wanted and desired, that I, I got it and, and I achieved it. And here at the end of his life, it's interesting because Solomon, all of a sudden, in these years, the latter years of his life, how long he had gotten his eyes off of the Lord, because we do know that in uh, the dedication of the temple, he gave a magnificent prayer. But then it says after that, that he had done all that his heart desired. And he began to live life apart from the Lord. He began to look to these things to bring him the satisfaction and fulfillment and desire that he thought that he really wanted in life. And of course, the world teaches us that we are to pursue those things, or to pursue the horses and the gold and, and the popularity and the prestige and, and all of this. And that's what ultimately is going to make us happy. Now, living life, and as we pursue the things of the world, it may bring a person, you know, passing pleasure, as the book of Hebrews says, and it may bring temporary satisfaction and fulfillment but it will leave a person empty. And that's why that you see a, a lot of people that perhaps you know personally, when they get to the end of their lives, if they haven't known the Lord or walked with the Lord, they can be very, very cynical. They can be very negative. And I've talked to people that I've gone and visited in a nursing home or family members of those who go here, and they become cynical. And they're kind of like Solomon here. They said, nothing new's under the sun. Everything's mundane, routine. The sun comes up in the morning, sets at night, comes up the next day, sets at night. The earth continues to turn. You, you know, everything is just routine, and, and they feel that way. What is the purpose of it? And Solomon, even tonight, is going to be talking about staying up all night, trying to figure out 
what is really the purpose of life? What is really the, you know, the wisdom that I am to obtain? How can I understand it, in other words? And you see, he's writing these things apart from the Lord. He's writing these things apart from what God had taught him and the wisdom of God's word that was given to him. And so Solomon here, he's writing in that way to teach us a lesson. We were created to bring him pleasure and to worship our Lord and to live for him. And even though the Lord can bless us with the things that we have, and we are blessed by them, ultimately our real fulfillment and satisfaction in life is going to come with a close relationship with him and walking with him and knowing him and living in godly wisdom. And you see, people of the world don't have what you and I have. And I hope that we're understanding that. We have God's wisdom. We have God's strength. We have God's truth given to us. We don't have to walk in, in confusion. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to, to walk, you know, being deceived because the Lord is in our lives and his word is in our hearts. So here is Solomon just struggling with all this. What good is it to labor because you're just going to die and your things are going to go to somebody else. People are going to forget about you. If you do good, you're going to be forgotten. And, and he's just saying it's all vanity. And then he goes on and he says, how can you understand really what is the meaning of everything? Because it's like trying to grasp for the wind is another term that he uses repeatedly in this book. Have you ever tried to grasp the wind? You can't do it, can you? And he goes on and he says, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, these things happen. It happens to the righteous and it happens to the wicked. And that's what we're going to see. And we left off at chapter 8, verse 9. And all this I have seen and applied in verse 9. We read, my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. And then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. So here he is in this chapter. He's talking about those who are in authority. And he says, this is what I've seen that is vanity, uh, that uh, I've seen those who are in authority. They rule over another to their own hurt. And of course, his own son, Rehoboam, as we ended last week, we made a, I, I made a brief mention of him. Rehoboam, his son, really brought hurt to the nation because it was only a few weeks after he began to reign after the death of Solomon that the nation split in half. Well, the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, and then Judah and Benjamin down south, the house of Judah. Because of his selfishness, because of, of you know, his um, worldly wisdom and, and not really desiring to serve the people and to help the people and listen to the people. And as we think about these things, and here is Solomon in verse 10 talking about those who are in, um, you know, spiritual authority. He said, I saw the wicked buried who had come from the place of holiness. Perhaps it's a reference to the religious leaders that were living at that time, the priests and the Levites that were serving at the temple. He said they had done wickedly as well. And we know that one of the indictments against Judah in, um, you know, the prophets coming along like Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it was against those very leaders who had uh, teached false things that had perverse hearts uh, that were, you know, terrible leaders. And Jeremiah particularly brings it out in his book 
how you have left the people, you know, starving and weak and you haven't fed them the things of the Lord and the truth of God's word. And so they were indicted very much by the prophets who came on the scene. And I like what Jeremiah, that he would say that the time's going to come in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 3, that he says, uh, the Lord, that I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I have that verse underlined because here's the thing. For you as a shepherd, mom and dad, and you who may shepherd in ministry, you who may shepherd, you know, in any capacity whatsoever, that we are to be ones, that we're to be a blessing to others. We are to treat others right in a way that the Lord would want us to, and we are to do it in a way that benefits them, not hurt them. And I am, as a pastor, to feed you, as here Jeremiah says, that I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart. And that's very convicting for me. Because I don't want to be up here preaching and then not doing. I want to be the same man out of the pulpit as I am behind the pulpit. And the things that I do is I have the privilege to serve here and have been doing it for 21 years. I want it to be to where you're being fed with knowledge and understanding of the things of the Lord. That is my responsibility. And as a parent, that's my responsibility to my family. And it's your responsibility, parents and grandparents as well that we're to have a heart for God. And as we feed our families, as we feed those that are linked to us in our lives that we have privilege to minister to, may it always be to where we are a blessing to them, not to hurt them. What is it that we're allowing into our homes? What is it that we're accepting? You know, how is it that we treat our spouse? How is it that we treat our children? And I pray that we would always ask the Lord for help and to be that husband, to be that wife, to be the parent, to, to be, you know, the one, the brother and sisters that's going to benefit and bless others in the body of Christ. So here he's just negative, and he goes on in verse 11 and says, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So he's speaking about those who were judges and the justice system and if judgment is not carried out speedily then it's not going to deter others and then in verse 12 though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged yet i surely know that it will be well with those who fear god who fear before him but it will not be well with the wicked nor will he prolong his days which are shadow because he does not fear before god now Solomon, as he's being negative and he's looking at all this, he's looking at it from under the sun, he's not looking to the Lord, he, he, he has some positive notes here, and then he's going to get negative once again. And in verses 12 and 13, what he's saying that, that he knows that uh, it's going to be well with those who fear God. He understands that it's better to fear God than to do wickedly. And we know that that's true with the scripture as well. Now, that whole concept of fearing God, to remind you once again, as we talked about it quite a bit as we went through the book of Psalms and Proverbs, because the fear of the Lord is not really spoken of a whole lot in the church today. And some people think, what is the fear of God? Is it that I'm to have this, you know, terrifying fear of God, kind of like this unhealthy terror of God? No, as we are believers and we are His children, the fear of the Lord means that I reverence you, Lord. I, I, I know that you are an awesome, holy 
God. And Lord, I want to walk with you. And I know that you hear everything that I say. You know everything that I think. I can't hide anything from you. And it's just that healthy, you know, reverence for him. And Lord, I want to please you with my life. Sometimes I think that a good definition that I like to give for the fear of the Lord is, Lord, I, the fear of the Lord for me is I fear that I'm going to hurt you with my sin and my actions and my words. And I don't want to do that. I want to walk closely with you because I am aware that you see and hear everything that I do. And you know my heart and nothing is hidden from you. So that's better than doing wickedly and thinking you're going to get away with it. So Solomon, he understands it. And he says the wicked is not going to get away with things. But verse 14, there is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it happens uh, according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So, you know, Solomon basically is, is saying that we might as well just all party since it really doesn't matter. And that is the philosophy of a lot of people. You know, the philosophy is just eat, drink, and be merry. And he's going to go on and he's going to say that. Uh, what difference does it make? It's all vanity. Uh, might as well just kind of kick back and, and enjoy it. And verse 15, so I commended uh, enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun and when I apply it my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth even though one sees no sleep day or night and then I saw all the work of God verse 17 that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun for though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, through a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. So Solomon here, trying to figure out wisdom, he, he never figured it out as he searched. He said day and night. And again, here's the wisest man on the face of the earth. But he's doing it from a perspective as he's put aside God's wisdom and he's trying to come up with his own wisdom and he's coming up short. And again, he's being negative. Uh, I, I didn't sleep day or night. I saw all the work of God. And a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. And, and it's interesting here. And he says in the, the last of the chapter that though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. It's like he's saying, who knows what God's going to do? You're not going to be able to find it. Now, I want to encourage you here tonight. Because the wonderful thing about being a Christian, it is a day-by-day day walk with Him. And sometimes things happen in our lives that come into our lives that we don't understand why this is happening or I'm facing this circumstance or I'm going through this trial. And all of us as Christians, even as He's going to continue in chapter 9, that we will face trials and difficulties. I think that probably most of us, if not all of us, in this room, that we know that we're not exempt from difficulties in this world, from trials, from loss, from uh, challenges, from uh, persecution, and all of that. We will go through difficulties, and we will go through those trials. But here's the thing that you and I need to remember. 
even though you're in the middle of a difficult circumstance or a trial that you're going through your life, you're wondering, Lord, what are you doing? That you do have the promises of God and know that he can do no evil, that his work that he's doing is good. He cannot lie. He's going to be faithful and his word is true to you and to me. And sometimes, because I've been through it in my own life a number of times, that we can think, Lord, your work is against me. Lord, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And we start to think and we toss and we turn when the Lord wants us to rest in him and to rest in his promises. It's kind of like Jacob. You know, Jacob had his 12 sons there in the book of Genesis. And most of you, you know the story that Joseph had his brothers that were very envious of Joseph. And uh, Joseph was thrown into a pit. He was sold off into slavery to Egypt. In all those chapters of Genesis, you see that Joseph, being a young man, he trusted the Lord. And God gave him favor in Potiphar's house to where he was the steward the manager of all of Potiphar's goods, and Potiphar's wife made advances towards him. And Joseph was one that was, you know, his heart was towards the Lord. A, a young man, it's an amazing story. And Potiphar's wife grabs him and says, lie with me when everybody else was out of the house. And Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness before my God? You know, that's what I hope and pray that all of us would have that kind of heart when we are faced with temptation, that how can I do this wickedness before my God? Joseph, being a young man, could have said, listen, that my brothers, you know, they threw me in a pit. They sold me into slavery. My family doesn't care about me. I've been dumped on. You know, I'm angry. While I'm in Egypt, I might as well enjoy it. And I deserve to have some fun. But he was one that was trusting in God and as he ran away, he ended up being in prison in Egypt for about 12 years, accused wrongly. She would be embarrassed by that, and she would accuse him of making those advances. And it, he was lucky he didn't get killed, but he was thrown into prison, and he was there for a number of years, and it says that he was the chief over the prisoners. In other words, that God was using Joseph in prison to minister to those prisoners. And listen, being in an ancient jail, you know, nearly 4,000 years ago in Egypt, there was no TV. And it was not a good situation. And Joseph was there for year after year after year after year. But yet he still looked to the Lord. And that amazes me. And meanwhile, Jacob, who's at home, he thought he had lost his son, Joseph. Because the brothers came home and said, well, Dad, you know, Joseph was killed by this wild animal, and he's dead. And, and here was the grief and the loss of a father towards his son for all those years. And then finally, after these years passed by, Joseph's probably around 30 years of age, that he gets a call from the Pharaoh because, as you know, the, the chapters tell us how uh, Pharaoh found out that he could interpret dreams and Pharaoh had a dream. Hey, get that Hebrew up out of prison. And then one day he went from a prisoner to stand before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, I can't interpret a dream, but, but God can. 
And he gave the interpretation of the dream. <coughs> and he said, there's going to be famine that's going to come, Pharaoh, and you need to set somebody wise over the kingdom to be able to distribute grain when people come. And Pharaoh said, you're the one. You're the one that's wise. From prisoner to prime minister in one day. And as there were those years of good crops that they stored up grain, and all of a sudden the years of famine came. And Jacob had heard that there was a man in Egypt. He didn't know it was his son, Joseph. He didn't know all that that was taking place. He probably, you know, just think, this is about 20 years at least that has passed since he thought his son had died. You guys, his sons, you know, you guys need to go and see the man in Egypt and go ask for grain. Well, over time, it is Joseph that revealed himself that I'm your brother. And in that time, when they were coming to get grain, you know, Joseph was dealing with his brothers, and Jacob would cry out as, you know, you need to bring the youngest Benjamin, and he didn't want to send Benjamin. And, and Jacob said, all these things are working against me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt in your life the circumstances that are happening, and they've been happening for a while, you think, everything is working against me. But you know what Joseph said about that at the end of his life? He said, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. And he worked for good. And I need to remind myself and I want to remind you that perhaps you're going through a season of difficulty and challenges and trials and you're wondering, Lord, what is going on? That know this, he is working for good. He is working for good. And he desires for you not only to trust in him, but to rest in what he is doing in your life. And I don't know for me and the challenges that I face, what tomorrow may bring, what next month may bring, or the end of the year may bring. But I do know this, even though I don't know what tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow, and that is my Lord. And his promises are true for me and they're true for you. And even in the trials that you go through, the Lord is working to do a marvelous work in your life and in your heart to grow you. Even as James would say, James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And, and I used to, when I was younger in, in, as a Christian, I used to avoid that verse. Ah, count it all joy, you know, when you fall into various trials. But he said, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or that is, it produces endurance, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, or that is, has the meaning of mature, complete, lacking nothing. The Lord wants to do a work of bringing endurance and patience to you, that you may grow in the Lord. You see, he's not wanting to do you in. He's wanting to not make you to where you come to where you're bitter. He wants to make you better. He wants to grow you. He wants to mature you. That's the work that he wants to do. And that's why Paul writes, when he writes about all the tribulations and persecutions that they went through, that he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels is what we have, that the glory of God may be seen. And we are the earthen vessels we are earthen vessels that have the glory of God that is inside of us. And when we go through the brokenness of life, 
that when we are broken, that the glory of the Lord may shine through. And I think that that spiritual truth there in 2 Corinthians is so gloriously illustrated in the story of Gideon as he went against 135,000 Midianites with just 300 men. And he says, this is what you're to do, Gideon. Tell your guys, your 300 guys, to put the, the, the coals in the clay pots and circle around the camp of, of the Midianites. And at the sound of the trumpet, then you break the clay pots. And as they did, the air came rushing in and the coals would ignite. And, and all of a sudden, those lanterns would go on and the light would be seen and the enemy would scatter. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And one of the ways that the enemy will flee from you is when you say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. And this broken vessel, my desire, is that your glory be ignited and be a testimony to others and be a light. And you'll see the darkness will begin to be dispersed and victory is going to come. Isaiah says that he's the one that brings beauty out of the ashes. And he wants to make something of beauty in your life. And we can sit up and toss and turn and wonder and second guess and everything's against me. Listen, I've been there. I've been there plenty of times in my life. And the Lord has to reassure me that I am working for good and that I care about you and I will perfect that which concerns me and those that you love, that you are praying for. So I hope that's an encouragement to somebody tonight. And if you are tossing and turning and impatient, the Lord says, I want you to rest in me and know that I am God. And to know that I am working, that I'm going to continue to work in your life. Well, chapter 9 we read, For I consider all this in my heart so that I could declare it all that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner who takes an oath and he who fears an oath. So Solomon is saying that it's all grasping for the wind and as he says, life will feel that you know, that you just look at it and it, it's, you know, difficulty comes to the righteous, to the wise, and also to the wicked as well. Uh, it comes to the clean, the unclean, the one who sacrifices and doesn't sacrifice. And again, remember that it was Jesus that said that reigns on the just and the unjust. It is Jesus that said that you will have tribulation. He didn't say you might have tribulation. But you will, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And he's overcome the world to where we have salvation. And we have God that dwells in our hearts in right relationship with the Father. And Solomon continues in verse 3, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. So he says all men will die, evil men, and, and then there's going to be a judgment for them. And here's the thing, we've talked about this, as Solomon is going to be, you know, negative and all of this, 
he seems like in life that the wicked get away with it and you know it doesn't really matter and and all of this no one's getting away with anything and sometimes we can look at others and think well that dirty rat or they're corrupt or they're so you know evil or they do wrong they seem like they cheat and lie their way through life listen they're not getting away with anything and remember that the Lord desires to save them. This Sunday, we're going to look at an incredible story in Luke chapter 19 as we open up the chapter of Zacchaeus. Now, if you went to Sunday school, you know, or went to children's ministry or read the Bible for any length of time, a lot of you, you know the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe some of you grew up was singing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was him in children's ministry, or maybe if you taught it, you, you taught that song to the children. And so we kind of picture as, you know, Zacchaeus up in a tree, and he's a happy little guy, you know, and all of this. Listen, he was a scoundrel. <laughs> he wasn't a wee little man because he was a tax collector. Listen, not only a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. And he wants to know who Jesus is. And we're going to see this incredible story on Sunday of a man who's rich, we are told. He's probably got his best Roman clothes on. Be like a man who has a suit on and a $100 tie. And he wants to, to see Jesus. He can't because he's short of stature, so he runs ahead of the crowd. And, and he, he comes up with an idea, I'm going to climb the sycamore tree. I'm going to see him. And you see, it wasn't very dignified for a man of his stature and of his caliber and of his position to be running. And for a man to be up in a tree, you know, to, to watch Jesus... How would you like in a couple of weeks when we have the Greeley Stampede Parade, if you saw a guy kind of running down the, the parade route trying to get ahead and climbing up in a tree in a suit? You would think, what is this? And when Jesus stopped and looked at him and called him down and said, I'm coming over to your house, Zacchaeus, the people murmured and grumbled, how can he go to the house of a sinner? We look at others and we think, how can that person get away with things? That guy's like a chief tax collector, cheating his way through life, always running, trying to get ahead, always climbing above everybody else and looking down on everybody. But in that chapter, it tells us the theme of Luke's gospel that Jesus said, I came to save that which is lost. And salvation has come to his house. And that's why we need to continue to pray. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you because they are not going to get away with it. And that person that perhaps at work or in your family or somebody that you know that really gets under your skin, you pray for them. And yes, they may do things that really hurt you and undermine you and all of this, but God is a just God. And if they don't repent and come 
and give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, judgment will come to them. And we can look around the world and we can see all the injustice around the world, can't we? We see all the things that are going on and we think, how long is this going to go on? The Lord is going to come and he's going to judge sin. But this is a day of grace for those who are Zacchaeus's to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to pray for them. So they're not really getting away with anything at all. And as we continue, verse 4, but for him who is joined to all, the living there is hope, and for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Again, he's being negative. He, he says, uh, you know, it, it's better to be uh, a, a living dog than a dead lion. Now, keep in mind that dogs in those days were despised. They, you know, we have our dogs, and we love our dogs, don't we? We love our pets. It wasn't that way 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Matter of fact, the religious leaders, it's you know, written in Jewish writings that uh, the, the religious leaders would pray, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a dog. They really looked down upon dogs because most of them were wild and, and all of that. So here he says it's better to be you know, a, a living dog, you know, even if you are not valuable or seen as you know, important or anything than a dead lion. A lion was, you know, uh, royalty, strength is what it spoke of. Listen. Better to be spiritually alive. And the world may see you as a dog. That is, they don't respect you. They look down on you. They may want to kick you like a dog. But it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion that is somebody who's dead spiritually, who has all the, you know, popularity and all the prestige and all of this, because all that will go away. And as you are living for the Lord, know this, that He sees and He knows. And Solomon is being so negative here. He's saying, well, you know, here's all this going on and and all things come alike, but I guess it's better to be a living dog than better than a dead lion. In verse 5, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is also forgotten, and their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Uh, nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So here he's saying that no reward, really, we die and there's no reward. Listen, there's great reward is you serve the Lord. And what you do for Christ, that is what's going to last. And again, as we're going to move into chapter 19 of Luke's gospel, very important parable that Jesus tells of the minus, that these servants, all of them were given one minus, and what they did with that, it was based on the reward that they received. All of us have received the gospel and the truth of God's word. Are we being faithful and giving that to others? Now, again, none of us do that perfectly. But are we giving truth to others? Are we telling them that Jesus Christ loves them and died for them? Are we desiring to serve the Lord? Are we desiring to live for the Lord? And what we do for Christ, we know we're going to be rewarded, as Romans chapter 14 declares to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sin. Jesus took that judgment upon the cross, 
but what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. The Bema reward seat of Christ, Paul's given a picture of, to receive rewards for what we have done for him and all of our works will be tried by fire, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's either like gold, silver, and precious metal, or wood, hay, and stubble. Now, I know that I've done work that is wood, hay, and stubble. Wrong motives, wrong attitudes, you know, selfish desires, all of this. That will all burn up. But what we have done for Christ because of our love for him and desiring to share him and further the kingdom. Oh, people might look at me as a dog or negatively and persecute me. But listen, the Lord sees you and you be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because your work is not in vain. You live your life for him. And there's going to be blessing in this life in doing that. And there's going to be eternal blessing that will be given to you as you stand before the Lord and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is my prayer for all of us, for me and for you, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Even in that parable that there's one that ruled over ten cities and one over five cities, one over one city. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Come enter into the joy of your Lord. And what a glorious day that is going to be when we stand before our Lord and we can't take the credit because he's the one that works through us and in us and strengthens us and guides us, perfects that which concerns us, being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus, that when we stand before him, he gets the glory and we'll cast all of our crowns back at him as we know that we see that scene there in Revelation chapter 4. But it's going to be glorious. So live for him. And live for eternity's perspectives. And you know what? We live, folks, I believe this with all of my heart more than anything, in a generation that could see the return of the Lord. We are getting so close. And he has privileged us to be here to be a light because there's so much darkness that is out there. And evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse. But you and I have opportunity to be used in the day in which we're living in. So here Solomon, being negative, continues to look at all of that in verse 7 go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for god has already accepted your works that your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil listen being a christian doesn't mean that you have to live a boring life being a christian means that you can enjoy life and what the lord has given to us but let him to be the priority of everything the things you enjoy i enjoy doing things you know i enjoy you know just different things but more than anything i enjoy him and i want him to be a part of that i want him to be ruling over those things and, and so here he says enjoy it and he says your garments always be white speaks of righteousness let your head lack no oil speaks of oil the holy spirit just guiding us and directing us you know when i was sue and i were in du bois wyoming you know last month we were in the donut shop. I have to stop by the donut shop in Du Bois, uh, Wyoming. It's a little town of a thousand people at Teton Range. 
And they got a little plaque there that says, don't take life too seriously because you will leave it all behind. And it is true, but we can enjoy life. And what I pray that you enjoy life because you're enjoying your relationship with the Lord. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're all sour and dour and boring and, you know, you're a bummer to be around. Man, be joyful. It's an adventure to live for Him and to serve Him. It's an incredible life. And He is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. He will take you on adventures that you never thought possible. He will do more in your life than you ever thought you could ever do and that you will ever do on your own efforts and your own fleshly pursuits. He will do incredible things. And just as you allow Him to guide you and direct you in everything and just walk in with Him. And live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. (laughs) All right, Solomon. Enjoy your wife, your vain life, you know, which is given you under the sun all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life, in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whether your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So nice, nice perspective there, Solomon. <laughs> Your vain life, the wife that is given to you. There's nothing more of a blessing than having a godly wife. So guys, treat her with great respect and love and serve her and cherish her and love her as Christ loves the church. And I returned and saw under the sun, that verse 11, that race is not too swift, the battles to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. So here is Solomon again being negative. He says life is unpredictable. Life can be cruel. The fastest doesn't always win. The soldier doesn't always win the battle. But he says we get caught up and snared up and we fall suddenly. Listen, you're in the Lord's hand. Run your race. Run the race that is before you. Paul said, I don't count my life dear to myself, for I'm determined to run my race with joy that has been set before me. And I love that because that's my prayer. Lord, help me to just die to self. My life is not my own. To run my race with joy that has been set before me. And at the end of Paul's life, he said, that my departure is at hand and I've run the race. And I pray that all of us would keep running the race. Keep fighting the good fight. Listen, it's a good fight. Keep fighting the good fight. And keep looking to him. In verse 13, this wisdom I also seen under the sun and seemed great to me. Uh, there was a little city with few men in it, and great king came against it and besieged it and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered the same poor 
man. And so here he wondered, uh, you know, as he gives the situation, we wonder if it's a true situation that he observed, but it's uh, here wisdom is not always appreciated. Um, and so life is meaningless and vain because it doesn't matter what we do is what he's going to get to. Uh, listen, you may not always be appreciated by others and the godly wisdom that you give to others. But God sees it and he's going to honor it and he's going to bless you for giving it. And then in verse 16, then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And so he knows that wisdom is better, even if it is done quietly, it's better than the fools that are the loudest. You know, there's a lot of foolish talk out there, folks. They get a lot of attention on, you know, talk shows on TV and radio programs and all of that. Listen, you give godly wisdom and you give it quietly and honestly and humbly to others and God will use it to bring blessing to others, to be able to, you know, do so much. You can do so much. Listen, you can change a person's life so radically by giving them truth. Give them truth. You can change a person's or be used. God does the changing. We know that. But sharing the gospel with somebody, sharing the love of Christ with somebody, what more incredible thing could a person do than to do that? And I know that there are you that are here that you were told the gospel by somebody who took the time to give you that godly wisdom. And there wasn't a big parade and there wasn't, you know, all this fame that went with it, but that person has changed for eternity because you, you know, had somebody that came to you and shared it, and you have the opportunity to share it with somebody else. And it is a powerful thing. Look for that opportunity. Don't be afraid. I think Satan sells us a bill of goods. You can't share with somebody because you, you'll make a fool out of yourself and you don't have all the answers. Just share what you know, that Jesus Christ he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's come to set you free from sin, to give you eternal life, to give you purpose, to give you true meaning in life, right relationship with the Father. And tell people who are hungry and thirsty, give them the living bread, give them the living water. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these chapters that lord even though they have a negative tone we can take and learn from them that lord that you desire for us as christians to live so differently than just going through life thinking that it's mundane what's the difference that you know everything negative happens to us it, it doesn't matter um all these things lord we're in your hands and even though we don't understand what's going on at times we know that your word is true and that you're working for good and that you love us. 
So, Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for these words that we can learn so we don't have to go through life being negative and saying it's all vanity and nothing new under the sun. Oh, it's a life that we give following the Son, the Son of God, that gives us real purpose. So I want to pray if there's anybody here, I know that uh, the coffee shop's full out there as we're here in the sanctuary, those listening on live stream and those on the radio later, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. This world is not your hope and this world is not going to, to save you. This world is going to leave you in bondage and this world is going to bring death to you. Only Jesus Christ can bring life eternal life spiritual life to you by coming in faith and receiving him as your Lord and Savior and if you're here and you know that emptiness you wonder what is life all about you are created for his good pleasures he created you he knows you he knows your name and he desires for you to come to him to be forgiven because he died on the cross for you. He rose again. He validated what he did on the cross. He proved that he's the son of God. No one else did that for you. He desires for you to be forgiven and surrender your life to him because he loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants you to walk in godly wisdom, real purpose and fulfillment, to have a new heart and a new beginning. If you've never done that, will you do that? And you can pray right where you are, Jesus, I come to you in need of you to be forgiven because I know that I am a sinner and I ask that you forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior that you would truly sit upon the throne of my life. And Lord, help me to know you, to learn of you, to enjoy you, to abide with you. Thank you for this new beginning, in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to be here for you to come up and just tell me you made that decision. And I want to pray with you and encourage you. And maybe if you're listening on live stream or radio, give us a call, will you? Because we want to bless you and pray with you. So, Father, I pray for all of us that we go out of here knowing that you are working for good. You're not working against us. And even if we're going through the brokenness of life, it may be that the glory, the excellence that is in the earthen vessels that we are may shine forth your glory. So Lord, bless everyone here. Bless our day tomorrow. Help us to give truth and walk, give wisdom to others. We pray for those that perhaps even get under our skin to have a different perspective. Because Jesus came to save and seek those who are lost. So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here now as they go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.